This is Sunday Letters, the weekly newsletter on life, work and the pursuit of happiness. I'm Larry McGuire. Sunday Letters has been on the go since 2015 in written form and more recently in audio form. And you'll find no advertising here, no marketing, no round-the-corner attempts by third parties to sell you stuff you don't need and part you from your cash. Instead, this show is about content of a deeper nature. Stuff that keeps me up at night. Stuff that I spend hours and days researching, writing, editing, recording. And all because I think it's worth sharing. I think it's worth your consideration. And if you enjoy the stuff that I do, if you like what I write and enjoy what I record, please consider becoming a paid subscriber. It costs a fiver a month or 50 a year. And you'll help me create more time to make stuff like this. Get over to Sunday Letters com to show your support for the show. So, here's this week's edition. I'm just back from my holliers, uh, two weeks in the north of Ireland, the uh, northwest coast, Donegal, small little beach town, hardly even a town, I wouldn't call it a town, hardly even a village, it's that small. But a, there's, a, there's a beachfront and a coffee shop, and um, an even smaller coffee shop further down, a pub up on the corner, and that's really about it. About a kilometer out the road is a, a small harbour, um, and then there's a shop, like a convenience store, uh, up the top of the hill uh, from the harbour. But uh, it's good to get away, and uh, that's where we went for two weeks, um, away from the bustle and bustle of city living and uh, all the demands that it makes on us. Um, you know, we struggled for, I suppose it takes a while to kind of tune out from that because we were looking for Wi-Fi and we're a brutal 3G network. So trying to do any work was impossible, which is a good thing, I suppose. But uh, it takes a while for you to tune out from that and, and relax, I think. But uh, anyway, um, it's like we were never gone. Two weeks gone, the blink of an eye, and all we have is a few memories of it, and that's the way it goes, isn't it? So, I mean, um, I suppose it makes you think about how you live and how you work. Well, it does me anyway. And uh, you know, if you're if you're caught in a pressure cooker scenario, which most of us are in our daily work, uh, I think we got to ask ourselves: Is this is this how we want to live our lives? Um, because it changes us. And it forces us to do things that we wouldn't otherwise do. And today in Sunday Letters, in the article, I'm sharing with you uh, a conversation I had with my dad on the subject on leadership, because this is a series on leadership. It's the fourth. Did I say that already? This is the fourth um, uh, in, in a series of six. And we got talking, uh, as we do regularly, about work, because we both worked in the same game. And he was telling me on this particular day uh, about his experience as managing people and how senior management uh, are so disconnected from the workers on the ground and how he felt kind of pulled between his loyalty towards the men and his job, which was essentially to forget about uh, the fact that these people were human beings and treat them like um, entities or objects, which is what most most businesses do. Employees are assets commodities 
Uh, so I'm into this subject this week, and uh, it's a conversation uh, or a lesson from an older generation on leadership. And I'm referring back to my dad's time in the game from the 70s and 80s. And I hope you enjoy it. I was chatting with my dad recently about work, particularly about his 40 years of management in the construction game. He was at his prime during the 70s and 80s, a period of distinct depression and widespread poverty in Ireland. The country at that time had only recently joined the EU, the EC as it was known. Infrastructure was non-existent and unemployment was in the high teens. Employment prospects weren't good for skilled workers, so many families emigrated to the US, Canada or Australia. My parents realised this too, and when an opportunity to manage a project in Doha, Qatar came my dad's way in 78, they packed up the family and we headed east. We returned a year later, but conditions hadn't improve, improved very much. The construction game was still as cutthroat, and workers were as disposable as ever. However, in the midst of this, my dad held to particular values that were unique for his time. He had a good way with blokes, the workers, the men who put everything together. He spoke their language and related to their circumstances. He understood the on-the-ground experience that every manual worker endures, and he fought, albeit subtly, for their interests. I say endures because the construction game is an assault on the person. This is true even taking into account today's improved working standards. The work is adversarial, and even though surface-level optics attempt to convince us otherwise, every worker and manager knows that it's all a staged performance. Building sites are dirty, noisy, dangerous places where before the advent of health and safety standards, men would literally risk their lives to earn a daily crust. Arguably, they still do. It was only with the arrival of multinational corporations to Ireland that standards improved. I have little time for corporates, but that's the one good thing that they brought. My father's role was to manage projects and get them done on time and within budget. But rather than taking a hardline autocratic approach, which was all too common at the time, he was a diplomat. He inherently knew the game, working with blokes, connecting with them and forming a bond but not in a disingenuous way. After all, he was one of them. As such, he garnered widespread respect, despite being responsible for letting lads go as projects came to a close. He had a sharp edge too, often telling workers as he fired them, now I'm not sacking you, you're sacking yourself. Afterwards, they'd buy him points and thank him for the opportunity. To him, lads were not merely resources to get the job done. They were human beings like him, but not everyone saw it that way. As he reminisced with me about the good old days, he told me of the challenge of weekly in-house labour meetings. The language was poisonous, he said. They had no relationship with the men and rarely knew them personally, yet they held firm opinions on whether these guys should be kept or sacked. It was often outright character assassination, he said. These were guys I worked with and who performed for me year in, year out, and management wanted to get rid of them. They simply didn't understand how things worked on the ground. When labour strikes hit in the 70s, he found himself on the picket lines and with the men in conflict with senior management. My mother scolded him for a long time for not putting his career first. His employers didn't understand that they needed to be on the worker's side so that the workers would be on their side when it mattered. My mother didn't understand that there was more to my father than merely the pursuit of career advancement. The construction industry is dog-eat-dog -dog and is matched for its intensity in many other workplaces. 
the nature of the relationship between managers and staff on the ground is hierarchical and antagonistic. It may be cooperative, but only under the threat of reprimand, loss of wages, or indeed one's job. Workers are often not allowed to think critically, and as much as we'd like to think leadership in organisations has changed for the better, I'd argue that it has not. Even where the outward behaviour and attitudes have become more palatable and politically correct, the underlying premises remain unchanged. Do what you're told and don't question the status quo. Adopt the persona, fulfil the role and follow the protocols to the latter. That's how you get ahead. The predominant leadership management system is not actively challenged, but is rather one of momentum. I know HBR, McKinsey and a host of other business and management publications have extolled the virtues of transformational leadership, perhaps for decades. Still, the fact is that Taylor's scientific management remains dominant in the psyche of workplace management and leadership. It is us versus them. Corporations want productivity. That's the bottom line. And they are prepared to do what is necessary to get it. Of course, they'll play the marketing game, but they'll also forego their sense of humanity for the sake of profit, regardless of any social imperative. After all, if they fail to do so, they cease to be viable entities. A note on Frederick Taylor and scientific management. Frederick F. Taylor worked in the Philadelphia steel industry in the late 19th century and established principles of labour efficiency that laid the ground for modern management. He conducted experiments for the optimal setting of lathes and boring machines and developed productivity tables that labourers followed. He suggested that efficiency was a matter of science and that worker behaviour could be adapted and improved through them. It could be argued that Taylor saw workers as machines and through cajolery, threats, fines and firings, Taylor succeeded in doubling the work done by his workers. For a time, the men were cowed and his bosses were happy, but Taylor was miserable. On consideration of his time and effort implementing scientific management in the steelworks, Taylor reflected. I was a young man in years, he said later, but I give you my word, I was a great deal older than I am now with worry, meanness and contemptibleness of the whole damn thing. It's a horrible life for any man to live, not to be able to look any workman in the face all day long without seeing hostility there. Monkey see, monkey do. Generations of doing serve to train would-be managers how to perform for the company despite its social policy and commitment to the health and well-being of its workers. This is so despite an individual's inherent feelings and care for other people. You can employ all the leadership management training you want. Still, if core fundamentals driving the company and indeed the individual don't shift from hierarchical to that of diversified complementary leadership, culture doesn't change. Culture changes people. It also enhances the sense of right and wrong in the individual and lets them know where the line is. Too often, however, this line is blurred or even ignored in day-to-day -day operations and people are sacrificed for the sake of profit. People can change, I mean really change, for the better, but there is something in all of us that is elemental, primary, constitutional, if that character structure cannot live and work by human, humanitarian-based ethics, nothing changes for the better concerning our treatment of our fellow human beings in the workplace. Business and work remain an, a means to a material end, and other human beings are an acceptable cost 
Change is happening. I'll grant you that. But there are many leaders and managers and corporations, small and large, the world over, that still operate from a do-it-or-else perspective. I know this because I was one of these to to pursue the pressure to perform and uphold a particular self-concept can drive us to do things we wish we hadn't. I'll put my hand up on that. Had I known better, I may have made better decisions in my business and work. Nevertheless, experience teaches and I learned important lessons. Words and theory don't teach, unfortunately. So maybe we've got to be bad leaders before we become good ones. On a final note, I believe that the workplace is invariably at odds with our humanity. The workplace requires us to subjugate ourselves to the ideal worker image, which has a detrimental effect on both management and workers. It asks us not to follow what we feel, but to follow rules. These rules don't serve us. They serve others further up the hierarchical chain. This is so blatantly obvious, I can't accept that everyone doesn't see it. I mean, it's so basic to how workplaces operate. So what's the leader's role? I'm not sure. Maybe we can address our leadership shortcomings in the modern workplace, or maybe it's a square peg in a round hole type of thing. I'm not certain it's something that can be resolved, given how society is currently structured. Nonetheless, capitalist-driven business models and the workplaces they create encourage us to ignore feelings that would otherwise inform us to appropriate behaviour. When we take a job, we must forget ourselves, which leads to obscene responses to our own needs and that of others. Okay, thanks for reading uh, or listening uh, to this week's Sunday Letters. Um, There's a couple of links in today's essay, one to the book by Frederick Taylor, Scientific Management from 1919, I think it was. Uh, It's in PDF and you can get that. It's a direct link there. And another one from... um, uh, Eckhart Horney from 1996. Uh, he writes about Fromm's humanistic ethics, and I, I thought that was uh, uh, valid in in terms of what it is I'm talking about when I when I say humanistic ethics. It's uh, it's basically um, refers to our fundamental appreciation of other human beings' needs, wants, and desires, and uh, I think when we hold to our sense of humanity, that's really what it is. Um, as we go about our business, well, we won't necessarily make dramatically incorrect decisions. Uh, I don't think. I mean, as an example from today's essay, my father in the seventies, there was big strikes in the industry. Electricians were on strikes for week on strike for weeks, and it affected the game. No work was done, etc. And my dad was in management, and he decided to join the lads on the picket line. And that went against uh, the company's policy. Obviously, want management to be on the side of the company. But my father felt uh, an allegiance to the workers. And my mother gave my hard time over this for a long time uh, and, and suggested that it ruined his career. Uh, but he knew something else. He valued his connection with those blokes over his connection to I'm I'm inferring from his decision uh, over his connection with a soulless, vacuous company, which is who he worked for. Now, we got on well with the boss and all that kind of stuff. And, and um, 
he was prominent for a long time in his field and did very well. But uh, uh, I believe his decision to side with the workers at that time affected his promotion prospects, blah, blah, blah. But uh, I think when you hold true to your values, you can't go wrong. You know, I mean, who wants, I mean, there's plenty of people who, who forgo their sense of humanity for the sake of promotion and uh, bonuses and profit, you know, corporations do that every day they do it. And, and I'll, I'll stand by that even in the face of all of this social and, and environmental uh, do-goodery that we see going on around the world, you know, with corporations. I don't believe when corporations say that they care about the environment, that they actually care about the environment. Individuals might, but if it comes down to, to uh, profit, sacrifice and profit, well, um, I don't believe that they do. Uh, actions speak louder than words, you know. Uh, another um, quick note on Frederick Taylor. Um, I mentioned him in, in today's essay. Um, towards the end of the late uh, 19th century, he had put in place uh, these rules for working or processes, systems. Um, it became very popular. I mean, we still use systems in work today as opposed to just letting people go about their business the way they the way they ordinarily would. So if you can imagine a, a steel work a steel works where I don't know you have maybe a hundred blokes all doing the business and uh, coordinated, yes, but maybe not working very efficiently. Um, they're all working to their own rule taken as long or as short as they needed to get a piece of work done. So what Taylor put in place was a system whereby this is how you do the job uh, and this is how long it should take. And he offered workers more money in order to do that. If you follow, do it my way and we'll pay you more. Um, so that was all fine. And and in, you know, when, when we look at it coldly, we think, uh, well, maybe that's appropriate. That's how we want business to be efficient entities, you know, because if, the, if they're not efficient, well, then they don't make money. But this can be taken too far. And you can imagine at a time, uh, at the time when this was brought in, um, you had guys who had worked all their life uh, on steel and in a particular way. And now they're being told by some bloke with a clipboard how to do the work. You can see how they would begin to resent this. And the quote today, uh, that I've included uh, reflects that because everyone in the work in the in the workplace ended up hating Frederick Taylor. I mean, it, the industry loved loved them, and they put him up on a pedestal, and he became a bit of a poster boy for for this system of working. But uh, it made objects out of people, and they did take it to the extreme. I mean, you could arguably say that. Uh, work psychology, organizational psychology now is trying to reverse what has been done, the damage that's been done through scientific management over the last century uh, or a century or more. I'm not sure that it's possible to, to uh, turn it around, in fact, because uh, if I haven't been clear my own position regarding um, workplaces and the nature of the workplace, um, the workplace is essentially... Uh, to me, a very cut and dry, almost inauthentic uh, place. Um, it's it's a little bit soulless. And although individuals may form valuable bonds with other workers, I don't think 
I don't I don't think that's a good reason for us to structure our workplaces the way we do. Those bonds that we form with people, the reason why we want to meet other people and work and be a part of that uh, is almost is almost um, in spite of the workplace rather than because of it, if that makes sense. Um, a lot of people are at odds with their work. Maybe we become used to being ordered about and told when we can use the toilet or what time we should take our lunch break at. I worked in a uh, in project management for a, for a crowd here in Ireland in 2016 stroke 2017 for a short period, nine months or whatever. Uh, and at one o'clock, um, all the workers, office based workers, would get up from their desk and all go to all go to lunch together. And um, it was it was regimental. I mean, they were just programmed to do it. No question. And maybe that's was the way the bosses wanted it. But uh, and then five o'clock, they're gone out the gate. They're in at nine. They're out at five. And lunch breaks are structured and all this kind of stuff. And that, to me, just seems so robotic. But maybe we're just so used to that now in society. And that's a, that's a direct consequence of the systems that the likes of Frederick Taylor put into place. Tell people how to work. Give them all the rules. Don't let them think. Uh, have them as specialized as possible so they just do their job and don't question it. Um, and then uh, everything will be great. We make loads of money, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but you see, you put a living, breathing organism, something that we can't even understand, begin to understand. We can talk about it. Science can talk about the human body and talk about the mind and all this kind of stuff. But we really don't know what we are. We don't know what these living, breathing organisms are or how they even came about. So we take this unknown entity uh, and put it in a dry systematized workplace and then um, we get sick and no wonder we get sick because we can't be creative in those types of environments we can't innovate we can't ask questions because our work has become so specialized i mean you take a building site today with a large building site with let's say 100 plumbers those blokes are told to start at eight o'clock they all arrive on the site with their tools at eight o'clock they do their work they're told what specifically to do now they can okay they can exercise maybe some creativity in their pipe work or in their welding or in their uh in how they do their daily work but really it's very structured they can't go outside of that and they have to be because the nature of the work requires them to be that way because if they don't well then the system won't work i mean the plumbing system or the heating system you know so within the tight confines of that, um, I have no argument. But broaden that out and let's talk about work. I do have an argument. Work in general. Work is supposed to be more than that. No wonder so many people are disenfranchised in their work. Soulless work that doesn't challenge them. Don't do it that way. Do it this way. And uh, this is what Frederick Taylor brought in in, in the 1880s, 1890s. Um. We give up so much of ourselves when we take on a job. We have to be something else. There's a particular um, image or version of ourselves that we must become. I mean, we don't decide what it is they do. The, the job does. 
So fulfill this role, be this type of human being, and you'll get on well. And uh, throw in a little bit of ruthlessness, and you might even uh, make your way up the ladder to levels of management and make more money and become be more become more robotic than you were as a worker. And this is the problem with work. Um, okay, you can be happy in work, you can be happy doing that, but um, if that's all you've got. Well, uh, I don't I don't know if that's going to fulfill. Um, now, there's always exceptions, but um, anyway, give the article a read. Check out those links in today's uh, in today's essay. And um, I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any opinions yourself on the matter, please do comment. Drop me a message at the bottom of today's article uh, or I'm on Twitter at Larry G. McGuire. Uh, I am on email, larry at larrygmcguire.com. Um, if you like what I'm doing, the stuff that I'm writing and recording, consider supporting Sunday Letters, uh, sundayletters.larrygmcguire.com forward slash subscribe. Uh, you'll get a link in today's article to that in the show notes here. And uh, that's all I've got for this Sunday. Thanks for joining me. And uh, I'll see you during the week for the NOMIC. All right, take care of yourselves and I'll talk to you then. Good luck.